Last week we talked about the um, concept of home. If you look on our decal on our window, it says City Church, Salt County, more like home. Uh, if you wonder what that means, uh, you can go on our website, saltcounty.org, uh, go to our podcast and listen to last week's podcast. Uh, I think it, it's interesting that as we describe it and we discuss it here on a Sunday morning, uh, I understand it better than I did before I got here. Uh, and if I'm the one that's carrying the vision, teaching the vision, and passing and multiplying the vision, uh, but fleshing it out in this context, I, I'm amazed that every week I walk out of here and I'm like, huh, I get it. I get it. Like I've typed it over and over and over. I've prayed about it over and over and over. But something, when we talk about it in here, it becomes more obvious and I understand it better. So last week we talked about what that means for the sense of home. Uh, but... In the home, the, the home is made up of a what? No, okay, so our family, we understand these are family discussions. When I ask questions, it's not rhetorical. It's an actual question where we get actual answers spouted back, back out at us. I'm going to ask you a number of questions this morning, and I'm not asking you to think. I'm asking you to speak. So, so when you talk about a home, if you go into the home, who makes up the home? Family. family. So it's a family. So a natural transition from where we were last week talking about a home. This week we're talking about the family. Uh, and I've probably said that word at least two dozen times already. Question number one for us to consider. Why is family so hard? <sighs> like, really, why is family so hard? People are different. <laughs> Me and that's my mom. <laughs> we had this conversation this week around her, uh, around her island. Oh, yeah. She gets very frustrated with me as her son, and just quite simply, I told her it's not my fault. It's because I'm different than you are. You're an extrovert. I'm an introvert. We have differences, and that makes it difficult. Right? So sometimes you're too much alike. You're too much alike. You're too different. You're too much alike. There's no winning here. Family's just hard. Right? Anything else? Why is family so hard? Oh, my goodness. That's why holidays are so special because you go, you celebrate, and then you leave before the fights hopefully kick off. Right? So you're too different. You're too much alike. You spend too much time together. All these things go together and that makes, it just makes family hard. Right? So that's the first half of it. Fam- Let's admit it. Family is hard. Right? Derek, you and I were talking about like desire for family, talking about family. But even in the midst of that, um, Derek and I are different seasons of life and he's like, some of what you have is good, but some of what you have just looks hard. <laughs> ah, just looks hard. So, Question number one, why is family hard? We get that. Question number two, why is family so valuable? Right? As hard as it is, you got to admit it's valuable. Because they, they're the ones that say you're ugly inside of you and they still love you. Hopefully. Hopefully, yes. Hopefully. Unconditional love, right? You. It's a building block, right? So, number one, because we have safe places where you can be who you are and do what you do, and people still love you regardless, it becomes a building block for which everything else kind of rises and falls. Right. I've said it many times that you, healthy churches are made up of healthy families. Right? If you don't have healthy families, you have an unhealthy church. And you can look and you can blame the church and you can say our church is unhealthy, but if you go back and you, you peek inside the homes, and you're like, Hi, I know why we're unhealthy now. Right? It's the building block. It's the foundation. Um, building block of our society. We can go on and on and on, right? Was that Ronald Reagan that said something to that effect? You know, the beginning of the fall of your nation is when your homes fall. It's when your family falls apart. Right? So it's why else is family so valuable? 
value changes through your as your family grows in different ways. When you're young, you don't see the value as much as you're mm-hmm. just tackling as it comes. A little bit older, a little bit more valuable things are. Or you see, oh, there is a reason that we did that, and now, boom, you got something that you can look yeah. at and go, it's working. Yeah. So it, the term value changes as you make yeah. it through life. So, I mean, as, as an infant, family is valuable because if it wasn't for the family, I would not exist. I'd die, right? If, if I don't have somebody spoon-feeding me, then not, it's hopeless. But then as I become a teenager, then the value, like you say, it, it, it changes. It becomes uniquely different because uh, hopefully, as parents with your children, uh, you go from spoon-feeding to hands-off where they can feed and direct themselves. Now, the value as a teenager is not that I would have somebody spoon-feeding me anymore, but that I would have somebody available to help me discern what is wise and what is not. Right? So that, that, that value does change. It's whatever season of life. And the, the cool thing that I was thinking about this week is no matter where you're at in the family, family is valuable. No matter if you're a parent, no matter if you're a child, no matter if you're a sibling, you will not deny the value of the family. Whether you experience it or not, you know that, that, that it has great value in our lives, right? No matter what part of the family you make up. So, last question in this section is, can it be valuable without being hard? I don't think so either. We do have room to disagree in this family, but for the basis of our conversation this morning, no, it can't. They go hand in hand. The difficulties and the value go hand in hand for the sake of our conversation this morning. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, Mark asked me on our run yesterday where we were going today. I said, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you've been to a wedding, you've heard this. uh, Because it's typically communicated in that setting concerning uh, husband and wife, concerning uh, that intimate type relationship. But when it was originally written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, it was written for the family. And I don't mean the family in the home, I mean the family of God. Right? Which is made up of the families in your home. So this is applicable... In your house, and this is applicable here as we too are a family, right? And that was the original intent that Paul wrote it for. This is how you live out your identity as children of God in the family of God. This is what it looks like. And he goes through this whole conversation. He's like, you could want to be a dad, you could want to be a mom, you could want to be a sibling, you could want to be. He's talking about spiritual gifts. If you want to prophesy, that's great. If you want to do this, that's great. If you want to do this. But what we really need in the family of God is people who are gifted at love. That's what we need. He he goes through a whole list of spiritual gifts and he says, valuable, 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 but all of it is trash. If we can't love each other well, it's pointless. So what we really need in the family of God is to understand 1 Corinthians 13, what it is to love as a part of a family. It's going to be hard. It's going to be valuable. And this is how it's going to flesh out. So I think we're going to get some good stuff out of this this morning. Read with me 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to pick it up in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. 1 Corinthians 13. So Paul told the church of Corinth, and I want to ask you this morning, let's look at what he told us, and I need your real life answers, you're learning to study the scriptures as I 
teaching this. Love is what? What's he say love is? Love is patient. My dad's a pharmacist, so my handwriting bad. I'm sorry. Uh, what else? What is love? Kind. You got the list in front of you, so we're just. Hmm? Love is patient. Love is kind. Not jealous. Not boastful. What else? Doesn't hold grudges. Not proud. Not self-seeking. Keeps no what? No record of what? Wrongs. Doesn't make a list of all your screw-ups so that we can pull them back out later. You always... Remember the time you... It's not love, right? It's not love. Love doesn't do that. What's he say there? He says it, it finds no joy in what? No joy in... Uh, depends on which version you're reading. Verse 6. No joy in unrighteousness. Rejoices in truth. Those two things are held in opposition together. Let's go to the last, the kind of the finale, if you will, where all the fireworks are going off. This is what Paul's doing. Love does what? It bears all things. And it does what else? Believes. Doesn't mean you're gullible. <laughs> this means you believe. You haven't given up. There's hope, there's a future, there's believe in you, in this, in, in things working. So it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things and endures all things. To endure all things is uniquely different than patience because patience is long-suffering and waiting, but endurance is being under a load and moving ahead anyways. Endurance has the sense of it that you are loaded down like a pack mule and you don't collapse under the weight of it, but you have endurance to go the long distance under that load. Right? Um, so those of you guys that drive large trucks, three-quarter tons, one tons, those trucks are made to carry a load. Love, too, is made to carry a load. It actually operates better with somewhat of a load. So love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Envy has with it, when you look it up and you read about it, uh, envy has with it like this boiling. Like, <clears throat> if you put water on your stove and you turn the stove on and you begin to see it boil. You begin to see it steam. You begin to see it bubble. That's envy. It's something you can discern is coming inside of you and you're boiling to a point that you're going to overflow. Right? That's what envy is. You know when envy happens and that's not love. Like getting to that boiling point within yourself, in your family context. That's not love on display. So it does not envy, it's not boastful. The one who is boastful is a bragger who needs attention drawn to themselves. Shelly and I got in this awesome argument yesterday. Didn't know I was in it until we got back from the run, and I was in it. I started it, and I didn't know I started it until two hours later. But here's what happened. I'm going to use Shelly as an illustration, and I'm going to get in another argument after lunch, which we're having immediately after this time. This boastful... 
it fleshes out in your arguments and it fleshes out in your home. It's like this, I always. It's like I'm bragging about what I do compared against what you do and I want you to recognize how good I do what I do and how frequently I do what I do. Boastful. I'm bragging about my performance so that you might recognize it and applaud me for it. I need your attention in my life. That's boastful. It's the bragger who wants the attention. It's not arrogant, puffed up and inflated. It's not rude. Just rude is ugly. If you look up the word rude in like the Greek and stuff like that, it just leads you to the word ugly. Rudeness is ugly. It's just not attractive. Not self-seeking, irritable, keeps no records of wrong, no gladness in wrong, rejoices in truth and what is right, bears all things. That means it waits. Believes all things, confident in goodness. Hopes all things, endures all things. Okay. So here's what I want you to see. What do we say? Family is what? It's one thing. Family is hard. Family is hard because it's a mirror. That's why family's hard. It's a mirror. But family is valuable because it's a mirror. Can I explain that to you as we continue our conversation? Can it be hard or can it be valuable without difficulty? No. These things go together. So no matter if you're a father, son, husband, wife, brother, sister, child, whatever part you play in a family, um, family and how we operate in the family has the ability to be a mirror and it it reveals the condition of your own heart. How you live out everyday life and everyday activities together becomes a mirror for you to see yourself and to see the condition of your own heart. And that's why it's hard. Because most of the time we don't want to see that. Why is marriage hard? Because of the condition of my heart. It's not because my wife's a screw-up. It's because my heart is evil and deceitful. And it wants to win. It wants to be noticed. It wants to rejoice in myself. Right? So, so family is hard because it has the ability to reveal your heart as a mirror does. So I, was, I had to go back and do some calculating. From the time I was 13 years old and on, I pretty much lived out life as, a, as an only child. My brothers had all gone to college. I was the one left. Actually, one brother went to college and one brother just never came home. Right? So that was so I felt like an only child from the time I was 13 on. And as a result, I think I overestimated my own condition. Felt too good about who I was and how I was. And it didn't reveal itself until I got married. Right? So when you're the only one in the family, and the family revolves around you, you feel pretty good about yourself. Because there's no mirrors in the house. There's nothing revealing the condition of your heart. There's no friction in the family. When there's no friction in the family, you overestimate your own condition. Uh, As a result, Shelly, I think it's not my fault that her first year of marriage was so bad. Just wasn't my fault. I was an only child for 12 years. Half my life I'd been the center of attention. In our home. So, therefore, when I got married, it was really bad. Just really bad. It was more Shelly's fault than mine. So, uh, I didn't choose to be an only child. No, it wasn't your daughter's fault. It was probably mine. So, I remember very well. Um, I remember very well two blocks ago, two blocks that way. Um, we, we didn't have a lot of money when we were married. We wouldn't have had that house if it wasn't for the grace of God and the goodness of people. Um, but I remember, for some reason, Shelly does this. She, she splurged, and she brought steaks home one night. 
and she wanted us to have a nice dinner, steaks, potatoes. And it, I mean, like this was a treat for us. I'm still saying that we can count on one hand how many times we've had steak in our house. And that was one of them. Right, So she brought the steaks home, we celebrated, we looked at it, we're like, I don't know what to do with this, neither one of us ever cooked it. Um, but we fired up the grill, which I didn't know how to use. <laughs> we did it, we threw them on the grill. I, I guess I got home from work, threw them on the grill, cooked them, I thought it was good, right? I thought it was good, I said, Shelly, I'm getting in the shower while you finish the rest of dinner and then we'll eat when I get out. Here's the thing. I didn't understand that my Shelly, that Shelly likes either like well done or close to it in our meat. Um, this was the first time I'd cooked meat in our house. I thought they were perfect. She thought they were not done. Uh, so by the time I got in the shower, she fired up the grill again, put them back on the grill, and just let the flames roll until by the time I got out of the, sh- out of the shower, we had like Cajun-styled steak, and it was burnt to a crisp. I mean, it was done. It wasn't even edible at this point. But I... this, was, this was like the first time and one of the few times that it's been like screaming match in our home, and it was over steak. It was over something that didn't didn't matter whatsoever, but we yelled, red-faced yelled, and, and it was ugly about steaks. And I may have thrown a little party inside my heart when your potatoes were not cooked. <laughs> like I'm chewing crunchy, cold potatoes. I'm like, you screwed that up, and I'm going to eat these crunchy, cold potatoes and throw a party inside my heart. I need to celebrate I need little attention to be drawn to myself right now. I need you to recognize that that you're a screw-up too. We need to boast my ego. We need to keep some records of wrongs. We need to do all these things right now because as we're yelling at each other, as you did this, I did this, you did this, you didn't do this, you need to do this better, I always do this better, and everything on this list fleshes out in this red-faced yelling match over food and steak. That's not love, right? It's it's just not. So I want you to do something for me. I want you to review your week and review this list. Identify identify one of these things that, that may be fleshed out incorrectly in your week this week. Like I wasn't patient in that interaction. I wasn't kind. I was, I was jealous. I began to be boastful. That grudge began to be deep-rooted, right? So review the list, review your week, and say, where did that flesh out for you this week? Can I ask you a question? Absolutely. Does that mean you don't love that mm. person or you're not displaying love? Yeah. I think we're going to answer that really clearly by the time we get done. Um, it doesn't mean you don't love, because uh, I always tell Shelly this. She says, I love you. I say, love is a verb. Love is a choice. Love is not a feeling. There's nothing in here that says it's affections. Paul's definition, the biblical definition of love, is not affection towards one another. It's not Cupid shooting me in the rear end so that I might fall head over heels for you. It's not that I desire you, I long for you. It's I choose to pursue you with real life action. So your question is a little confusing because we have trained our minds to think of love as an affection or this untouchable thing that comes and goes and we don't really have control over. But the biblical God-centered definition of love is I choose to love you. I choose to pursue you. I choose to forgive you. I choose to live out these action verbs in your direction. And in doing so, I love you. So you can still love someone in a sense of 
right? So I can, I can still love them as a son, as a daughter, as a mom or a dad. There's something in me that still loves them, but you're right, I'm not loving them as a verb, which I think is more important than saying, I feel loving towards you. Because when my wife says she loves me, yet her actions are not love-centered towards me, then it's not believable. It's not believable because love is an action. It's a verb. It's a choice. It's not a feeling or an affection. Right? In our culture, it's a feeling and an affection. That's why we say I fell out of love. You fell out of love because you quit acting towards that person. Right? That's why you fell out of love. Because you stopped. You chose to stop. Because the affection wasn't stirred, you chose to stop. That's what it means when you fell out of love. There's seasons that I don't feel like I love you, but I'm going to love you anyways. Right? So I, we can have our cultural definition of love, and we can still say that that still exists. I still love you as a son or a daughter or as a mom and a dad, but in this season, in this encounter, we're not loving each other well. Right? So somebody give me, and it can be lighthearted. You can you can poke at yourself in this, but I just want one example before we move on. All right, I poked at myself for your entertainment. Mark, what you got? Oh, yeah. I'm not very patient with her. Okay. Okay. And I can't change. She's three, so she should be perfect by now. Yeah. But, uh, like your older child. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Give it a couple years. Yeah. So or. With Elle, I feel like I'm, not, I'm never patient with Elle. Okay. I'm always on her butt, and I stay yeah. on her more than probably I should. Yeah. Because I want her to be a good little soldier. <clears throat> so you got two kids. One of them is the ideal, listens, obeys. Falls in line. The second kid, Mark thought he was a good dad when he had one kid. When he had two kids, he's like, I am the screw-up of all fathers. And I'm I'm not patient and I'm not kind towards my daughter because she's not doing this, so I'm not going to do that. What are you doing? You're keeping a record of wrong. I'm responding to you according to what you've done to me. So what you do to me now defines how I'm going to love you or not love you. What you're doing is you're holding back your love from someone because they're holding back obedience from you. It's like, wow, I didn't know I was doing that. But that's what we're doing. Right, so not patient towards my child. I'm going to say we have had more yelling matches with children this week than any week I can recall. It has been awful, so I sympathize with that. Sympathize with it greatly. But here's the deal. Every one of you, whether you want to say it out loud or not, you came up with a story. You came up with an encounter that you had this week where all this did or did not flesh out. Every one of our stories comes from the context of some type of family. You cannot, you will not, you shall not ever have a story to illustrate any of these points or lack of these points without the concept of some type of family. Now I know we have broadened the sense of family to go from the biological family to the family at work to the family on the sports team to our church family, right? You, you, you interchange family to be a social group of people that you live everyday activities with. But you, whatever you, whatever sense of family, you cannot ever Tell me how you did or did not love without using the context of family. Why? Because it comes from that context. It's how we know we do it and it's how we know we don't. It's the mirror. The family setting is the mirror to let me know, am I loving or am I not loving? It's the family context that's revealing the condition of my heart. That's why every one of the stories you thought of came from the context of everyday activities with the family. Always will. Because apart from that sense, you don't know the condition of your heart. Because if you live alone, you have no mirrors around you. You have no people to reflect the condition of your own heart. It's that everyday activity together that reflects the condition of your heart. So apart from everyday activity in the family, we may not know the condition of our heart. Family is hard... Why is it hard? It reveals my room for growth. That's the end of this point. 
Why is family hard? Because it's a mirror that reveals my room for growth. So I don't want you to look at this and say, I'm a complete failure. I don't love well. I'm not doing this. I need to make a list. Here's what I need to do. I need to go home and make a list and put it on my mirror that says patient, kind, don't be jealous, don't be boastful. And then when I get to the end of each day and I look in that mirror and I read that list, I'll, I'll mark the things that I did well at and I'll feel really good about myself and I'll mark the things that I did bad at and I'll feel really bad about myself. That is not the application that we're drawing this morning. I just want you to know that as you look at Paul's definition of love, it's just revealing your room for growth. And for right now, I think that needs to be sufficient until we get to the end of our discussion. And I'll give you a better way to pick yourself apart. Okay? But right now, let's just recognize, am I loving in that situation? Uh, I, I really did not do well in that situation. Reflected back at me, I've got room to grow. I've got room to grow. I'm going to confess that, I'm going to see that, and I'm going to press into that. I'm not going to run away from that. Because mirrors sometimes create this like, oh, didn't know I look like that. So we need to cover the mirror up. Now, we're, we're going to look into the image of Christ right now. And we're going to let that reflection transform who we are. Okay. So right now, it's just revealing room for growth. Our website says this, saltcounty.org, if you had never been to it, check it out. Our website says this, that we are, as a family, loving each other and others as the Father loves us. It's also, we have three points to our vision statement, and it's that one right there on the wall. That we are loving each other and others as the, Father's love, as the Father loves us. Right? Romans 5, 8, that while you were yet sinners, the Father loved you, and Christ died for you. He sent His Son to die for you. That's the love that He has towards those of us all of us who are still sinners. He did not wait on us to do better at our list. He pursued us and sent His Son in our place while we were in this hopeless condition. Romans 5.8 We want to love each other and others in that same way. The absence, it goes on, our website goes on to say this, the absence of these activities in our life is not a reflection of the message that we believe. If we as a people and a family of God are unloving, it does not change. It's not a reflection of what we say, the message that we believe, the gospel, that God loves this way. It's not a reflection of that. It's a reflection of the unbelief that we continue to wrestle with. That's it. Everybody in our community says, church is unloving. Church doesn't do well with this. So God must be unloving. God must not be. It, it, how we do doesn't change the message. How we do is simply a reflection of whether we are currently believing that message unto application or we continue to wrestle against unbelief, which we all do. If we believed flawlessly, we would obey it flawlessly. Every one of us, if you're a believer or not a believer, you're still wrestling with unbelief in everyday life. And when we miss these things, it's evidence of that. Which leads to our last point. As a church family, um, family is valuable. Family is valuable. So it's hard there. It's valuable as it reflects love of the Father. That's why it's valuable. Because on the rare occasion that we do love each other with an action, that we do love each other as a choice, it's not a reflection of how good Sean Thomas is, it's a reflection of how good your Father is. Whether we do it well or whether we do it poorly, it's not about us. Family is valuable because this family, the family of God, those who have put their trust and hope in Jesus as the Savior of the world and they choose to live life together, that family becomes a reflection of the Father's love that He has towards us. So I ask this in a different way. Love is, what is love? And I got to thinking about it and I got to trying to come up with a cool way. And, and in the end, I just went back to our photo album over the last year and a half. 
So what is love? I think for us and for this church family, love, Derek, was when all of us showed up to your concert at Christmas time and the look on your face when like all of us are sitting out there, Derek's like, <laughs> it's almost hard to stomach that all these people have chose to come be a part of this special moment with me that I've been working on. I think that's love. I think you recognized in that moment the Father's love for you was bigger than maybe you thought because when this group of people come to celebrate this moment in my life, that's, that's love. I think love is... Andrew, that day that like you came into DNA group and you'd had an extremely hard day that was a part of an extremely hard week and, and maybe DNA group didn't go that well, but you and I had the chance to have a conversation afterwards and, and peace seemed to like cover both of us. I think that was love. Right? That, that we were not defined by what we didn't do well, but we were defined by the Father's love and we kept pursuing each other. Um, I think love, and I've not spoken to either one of you ladies about this, but I'll, I'll commend you for it right now. The day that I came in and the worship team was getting ready, and I said, where's Heather? And Heather and Hannah were in the back room talking. And I still don't know what you were talking about, but I know there was something there. And instead of avoiding each other, you pursued each other and you worked it. That's love. And you came out laughing when you went in, maybe a little stressed, right? That's love. Um, Love is the night that Shelly and I went on a date night and we came home and there's like eight 20-somethings in our house. Half of them are on the floor wrestling with my boys and it is chaos. But I walk into the house and there's these people that are loving my children like their own on a Friday night. How pathetic are you guys? No, I mean, that, that, that's love. That's what love is. Um, it's Andrew's comments that I've heard over and over and over and over and over and over. He says that, that the special thing about this church family is there's always a spot at the table. That's, that's love. You don't have to earn your way in. We're not keeping records. In order to, there's just always an open seat at the table, whatever we're doing. Um, it's what is love? Love is me training with Mark for months for this stinking half marathon. And for months, Mark, you've gone slower so that I could go faster. I'm like, Mark, what's your goal for the half? What, what, what pace are you trying to set? Oh, whatever you can do. I'm like, you're wasting a race. He's like, no, I'm just choosing it to spend it different. And that's, that's love in, in the form of an action, that somebody would slow down so that you could catch up. Um, it's Alex teaching my daughter how to draw in our living room. Right? It's, it's bringing the set of pencils so that Micah could grow her talents and her passion for art. Um, it's, it's, it's this church family being hesitant to move into this location that was obviously a gift from God because we wanted to maintain that sense of family because we wanted to host. We wanted to have people in our homes. We wanted to enjoy what we've enjoyed together over a few months. And if going into a commercial setting doesn't allow us to maintain that, we don't want to do that. That's love. That's love. You didn't want to come in with the status quo and just meet and greet each other on Sunday. You want to continue to be hospitable and grow in that passion. That's the love that's growing out of you that's a reflection of the Father's love that He has towards us. Um, it's every couch that you've shared over the last 18 months. It's all the after-hours conversations that you've had with somebody in the last 18 months. It's every calf that Sean loaded in his arena and kicked him on the way out so that our kids could either get on or chicken out, whichever one happened. But that's a display of the Father's love that he has towards us. It's every nail that was put in your home. It's every time that... You've said welcome instead of where you've been. It's love, right? It's like when somebody comes in, they've been gone for a month, welcome. Not where you've been. It's, I think, maybe most obvious, it's every dessert that Sam has brought (laughs) to every meal that we've had. 
That's love in the form of a brownie. Thank you. Paul says this in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 13. For now we see only a reflection, as if we're looking into a mirror. But there's going to come a day where we're going to see face to face. He says, now I know in part, but then I will know fully. Every story that you tell, every story that we tell, is a dim reflection of the Father's love that He has for us. It's not perfect, it's not complete, it's not full, but it's, it's a glimmer, it's a, it's a dim reflection of, of how passionate our Father's love really is for us. And as we live out life in the family, everyday activities, and we tell those stories over and over and over, and we see those stories happen on a daily basis, it's not the whole thing, it's not the goal, it's not the end, but it's a picture of how the Father really loves us. A really faint picture that would cause that love for our Father to send His Son that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Every story you tell is a faint reflection of that love. Our stories are more about Him than they are about us. We're not the perfect church. We're not the ones that figured it out. We're not the ones that have everything right that everybody else has wrong. That is not who we are. We see a gap in this community that we think we can feel and God sent us to feel. We celebrate what every other church does. We celebrate what they're good at. And we just want to pursue our calling. right? And in doing so, we're going to see stories that we can tell. And our stories are going to be more about Him than they are about us. Last thing that I want us to do together. This is a little activity. I need to leave that. Okay. Little activity that I trained our people on a number of months ago. I'm sure they have forgotten, so it's a good uh, review. And for those of you that have never been with us, this will be a good, a good um, diagnostic tool for you to learn. And this is our application of the day. You'll also notice that I draw a lot of really bad pictures. Anybody know what that is? What did you say? One? You have company. Somebody to... It's usually Sean and Sam's job to uh, mock me as we teach. This is, our, this is our root to fruit diagnostic tool. Okay? Fruit to root exercise. So here's the question. What fruit is hanging... Or what is hanging on the fruit of my life? What is hanging on the fruit? What am I producing? What am I doing? What is... Is it patience? Is it impatience? And and, and maybe go a step further than that. Let's go. I'm going to pick on you for a second. We're going to use your... That's what happens when you speak in here. You become the object of an illustration. Um, So let's all pick on Mark and then you apply this to your own situation. Mark, so you said you're not applying patience with your youngest daughter. It's a difficult situation. Uh, give me an action that maybe lets you know that was not patience. Like, was it yelling? Was it swinging, kicking, like slamming doors? What? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay, so let's call those, oh, let's call that blow-ups, right? Just blow-ups. That's the fruit of my life. It's like things didn't go well, so I blew up, right? My daughter didn't respond well, so I blow up at her, right? So that's the fruit of my life. So the second question that you ask is, what do my actions reveal that I'm believing about my identity, about who I am? So if I'm blowing up at my daughter who's not responding well to simple instructions, what do I believe about myself that causes me to assert myself in such an impatient way? Now you're going to have to think for a second. You think something is true about yourself that causes you to get stronger, more passionate in your instruction. Right? So what do, you, what do we think? What, what do we think causes Mark 
to blow up? What does he believe about himself that causes that action? Well, I'll just say it about Mark. Let's, let's do that. Yeah, what's funny is, you say, I just want to be a dad and I want her to be a good daughter, but what could potentially be underlying that issue is exactly what you said. You're wasting my time. I need to get back to work. I need to give back to my chores. What I have to do is more valuable than your disobedience right now, so I'm going to blow up, make this thing go away. So, in our identity, we believe I'm more valuable, maybe even than family. Possibly. Because I think I'm my priority is the most valuable one in this moment. I'm going to blow up when you're wasting my time, wasting my energy, and wasting my breath. Right? We can justify it by saying, I want to be a good father, and I want to have good children. But it's probably got like a little selfishness underlying my blow-ups. Number three is, what does my belief about my identity say about the work of God? This is what I did because this is who I think I am. Now, what does who I think I am say about what God has done? This illustration gets a little fuzzy until it gets complete. What does my belief about my identity say about the work of God? If, I'm, if I and my time and my effort and all these things are more important than my family's, God's work is me-centered. Right, what God wants to do in this home revolves around me. What God will or will not do revolves around me and your ability to obey me, your ability to respond to me. Whoa, do we really think that God's work is centered towards me? Right? So what does my belief about the work of God say about the character of God in His nature? If I really believe that God's work is me-centered and and only goes through me, and what does that say that I believe about the character of God, the identity of God, the person of God? Huh? Yeah. Oh, so if it's going through me, then I believe God is inactive in my daughter's life. And so what you would say is, do you really believe that God is inactive and not present in your daughter's life? No, I would never say that out loud. I would never say that He's not present in my home if I'm not asserting my authority. I would never say that God works His authority through my authority only. I would never say that. Well, what would you say? I would say God is active in my family and all-powerful. He is all-powerful to change hearts, to change minds, to work in my daughter, to work in my marriage, to work in my family. What He decides to do, He will do. Right? So if I did believe that, if I did believe that, then I would realize God's work is not me-centered, but it's Jesus-centered. Because that's how He's worked. So it's, Jesus-centered. It goes through Him. Not through me. What? So, if I think the work in my daughter's life goes through the person of Jesus and not me, then Jesus is more valuable than 
my time or plan or agenda. What? And if Jesus is more time than my plan and my time and my agenda, then I do not have blow-ups, but we use moments of disobedience not to blow up and to fix my family, but instead of blowing up, we use moments to point to Jesus. Let's have gospel-centered fights in our home, not blow-ups. Right? So we can look at what Paul says love is. And if we're acting proudly, we can put that in the fruit of our life. And let's go back and let's retrace each step to see what that says we believe about the person of God. Most of the time, you're going to come to the root and you're going to have some atrocious statement that says, I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. Well, what do you believe about the person of God? It's simply wrestling against your unbelief. You don't recognize your unbelief until you recognize your fruits. And when you recognize the fruit of your life, you are equipped now to go back and see what you are practically believing that is driving your life and driving your actions. Learn to diagnose yourself. Mark, you're never going to change your daughter's heart. It's never going to happen. But if you can learn to have disagreements that are gospel, Jesus-centered, it will transform not only your daughter's heart, but yours. Family is hard. Yeah, it's miserable sometimes. That's only because it's a mirror that's reflecting the condition of my heart. It's just showing me where I have room for growth. Man, it's so valuable. Not because it points towards how good of a family we are, but how good of a father we have. Right? Don't run from the difficulties. Press into them. See why they're hard. Wrestle with it. It's your unbelief fleshing out in the fruit of your life. Dig through it. Grow through it. You're going to realize your Father's love for you is deeper than you even know. So whether that's the roof you live in or the family that you have visited and been a part of this morning, this is all applicable. It's all applicable. Final thoughts, comments, questions before we break for lunch. We pray for us. And, uh, we do have sandwiches, we have drinks, Capri Suns for the kids. I don't want to take any donuts home today. We've got cupcakes and cookies. So stay, hang out, talk, share a meal with our family one of the everyday activities that we cherish dearly. It's the ability to share a meal together. It bonds us together as a family.